Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. From the North Georgia Mountains to the Florida line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic Coast, uh, I cover the whole state of Georgia now. You can't escape me. That makes me happy. Uh, so, by the way, if you want to advertise uh, here, you should let me know, which reminds me this hour of the program is brought to you by Dynamic Money. My actual financial advisors decided they would also, like, help get the show off the ground. Uh, totally worth it. Uh, they're actually great people. If you need help planning, your, if you need help managing your 401k, financial advice, getting out of debt, how to get out of debt, restructuring debt, learning how to budget, Dynamic Money is who you need to go to, dynamicmoney.com. Great people. Uh, tell them I sent you. Uh, you support the show by by supporting the sponsors, and they're a great one to go to, seriously. Um, can't recommend them enough. Uh, they certainly helped my wife and me get out of debt, uh, yeah, restructure debts, and, and do. we're still working on the budgeting. Part. It's painful, y'all. It's painful. Nonetheless, we got to go on. I, it is remarkable to me. It is actually remarkable to me that uh, a weekend, after a weekend of rioting and protesting, and an attempted assassination, and it was an attempted assassination on two police officers. And then the the Black Lives Matters protesters knew uh, right where to go, to to which hospital to block, uh, the doors to block, chanting uh, that they hoped the police officers died. What is the top story at CNN? Uh, it, obviously, you can tell by the setup. Obviously. That you can um, you you can tell they didn't cover that. It's not on the CNN website right now, at least not at the top. Well, what is remarkable here is this: uh, the top story at CNN this morning, after a weekend of uh, the attempted assassination of police officers by a political activist. Here's the headline: Trump tries to make a mockery of social distancing. The president offered an example of his refusal to put medical science before politics with a large indoor rally. That's right. The, the top story at CNN is not a police shooting. It is not uh, that the activists, Black Lives Matters activists, blocked the, the hospital doors, tried to storm the doors to go in and stop people from saving the lives of the police officers. It, it's not any of that. It's the president had an indoor rally. That's the big story at CNN.com this morning. Is it any wonder that the American people on both sides, by the way, it's not just a Republican or a conservative thing, let progressives, Democrats, that they don't trust the news media. Look here in Georgia, uh, you're not hearing a lot of coverage of the coronavirus right now, are you? And the reason you're not hearing a lot of coverage about the coronavirus here in Georgia is because everything is headed in the right direction. Uh, for those of you in Brunswick, y'all are new to the program. Uh, everybody else is is well trained on this by now, uh, but I like to. So I I I as a radio show host do not like to be a passive radio show host. I don't like to to pontificate, so to speak, and and not have you involved. I am at heart a political activist. I, I ran political campaigns. Uh, I I was a a grassroots organizer for campaigns. I, I've managed campaigns. I've consulted on campaigns. I love talk radio. I am in talk radio. It just seems to me that there's a way to bridge the gap between the two, between me telling you information and letting you see it with your own eyes uh, so that you don't have to take my word for it. I, I abhor the idea that I should have to think for you. Uh, my, my job is to teach you how to be a better thinker, and, and sometimes we agree to disagree. 
But often I can give you the information so you can see it with your own eyes. You don't have to take my word for it, particularly because, you know, nowadays you say, well, Eric Erickson said, well, oh, you ever believe that guy on radio? Why are you believing the guy on radio? Well, well I, I want you to be able to see it for yourself. And the best way to do that is through a text messaging app. So if you text the word data, D-A-T-A, if you text the word data to the number 33777, just go to your iPhone app and, and listen, I realize the rest of you know this. We got a new station, Brunswick. Um, WBQO is is it? WBQO? Am I getting the call? I don't want to. Yep, WBQO, 93.7 FM. Brunswick, Sea Island, St. Simons. I, I got an excuse now to try to get a room at, at uh, the Cloisters, which it's too expensive for me. But nonetheless, um, it, so I, I, I want them to know if you put in the phone number 33777, just send one word to that number. Th the number is 33777. There's one word, data, D-A-T-A. -A. Type that word in and you're going to get back a series of links. And, and one of those links will be to the Georgia Department of Public Health. And you can see for yourself why you're not hearing any news about the um, coronavirus right now. It is because we continue to trend in the appropriate directions. For example, there are, uh, Georgia reported 2,090 cases right now, which is an uptick. But it's still headed in the right direction. Uh, the percentage of positive cases per test continues to decline. It's not going up. And in the seven-day moving average, it's 1,695 cases. And to get anywhere near 1,695 cases, you've got to go back to June 20th now, June 21st, June 21st, which puts us right to where when the big spike was happening after all the protests and Memorial Day, uh, we're not seeing uh, a post Labor Day surge yet. We've still we need another week to see if there is a post Labor Day surge. But you're not seeing a big blame uh, by anyone out there right now in the media. You're, if if there's a surge, they'll go back to blaming Brian Kemp. It is remarkable to me how uh, the media does not cover any good stories about COVID nineteen doesn't cover that the trends are in the right direction. It's not the lead because it's not bleeding. The moment things turns out, the moment there's a spike, though, uh, they will go after Brian Kemp again, and they will blame Brian Kemp again. Uh, Brian Kemp is to blame at all times. He's never to be praised. Uh, the man did not impose a statewide mask mandate, uh, but he went around the state urging people to wear masks, saying he wasn't going to force them to do it, but they needed to do it. They needed to take responsibility and do the right thing. And, and well, the media demanded that he do a, a mask mandate and enforce it under the rule of law. Do you know if Brian Kemp were to, to enforce a mask mandate under the rule of law, uh, they would then do sympathetic portraits of people who didn't wear a mask and got thrown in jail and, and why they didn't wear the mask. And, and they're so sympathetic to it. And mean old Brian Kemp had a thrown in jail for wearing a mask. There's no way the man could win. And that's just the way the media works with this stuff. Now, that that is a diversion from the news of the day that I actually wanted to start with. Over the weekend... Over the weekend, an activist. Now, I, I'm being told you can't call this person an activist because we don't know who they are, which is a willful ignorance of what's going on in the country. An activist 
tried to kill two police officers in Los Angeles. The video, you if you haven't seen the video, this person walks up to a police vehicle and opens fire on two sheriff's deputies in Los Angeles, a, a female mom and, and a, a male deputy, her partner. They are in critical condition. They had to go through surgery. The activist runs away, and Black Lives Matter's protesters know exactly which hospital these two are taken to and show up to to try to storm the, the hospital and stop their lives from being saved and chanting that the police officers got what they deserved. I, I, I'd like to make a, a point of common sense here. We've been told now for several months in the media that we should not cast dispersions on the Black Lives Matters movement when 95% of the protests are peaceful. It's only about 5% that turn into chaos that that have these activists trying to storm hospitals or uh, sabotaging people's meals at restaurants and demanding people raise their fists. Only about 5%. We, we can't label the entirety of the movement as, as hostile, violent, or bad given the small number. Why then are we supposed to do that with police officer-involved shootings? Because the overwhelming number of those are warranted. Why are we to defund whole police departments because of a few bad actors, but we're not allowed to do the same with the Black Lives Matters movement? Why the double standard? It seems if we're told not to judge an entire movement by a few bad apples in the Black Lives Matters movement, then we should not judge an entire police uh, force in the United States by a few bad apples in the police force. And yet that's what we're told to do. And we're told to do it because one side has privilege and one side doesn't. Well, I've seen the Black Lives Matters protesters and they're overwhelmingly young white kids. And I'm told that uh, young white men have the most privilege in this country. And I've seen a lot of the police officers who are getting yelled at, and they happen to be black men, who have less privilege than the white people marching in the Black Lives Matters protests, according to the critical theorists out there. So I'm very confused as to how this can align so that we're to be sympathetic to the white protesters who are harassing diners and showing up at people's houses and demanding that people throw their fists in the air in solidarity with Black Lives Matters when, one, they're not even black, and two, that's a rather authoritarian communist thing to do. Uh, But when we see these black police officers out there uh, who are being spit upon and called race traitors, uh, we're not supposed to have sympathy with them. We're supposed to define all of them by the few bad actors, the the Derek Chauvins and and the like, who knelt on George Floyd's neck. And then I'll tell you the other thing that bugs me about all of this is that how we're, we're supposed to condemn all police-related shootings and not look at the individual circumstances. We're not allowed to look at the, the individual circumstances. So I can look at the individual circumstances of Black Lives Matters and say, yeah, overwhelmingly it's peaceful. But the movement itself as a trend is increasingly getting more hostile and more violent. Police, on the other hand, of this country are not getting more violent. If anything, uh, they are responding uh, to the outrage and, and trying to correct things. And we also do see, however, in a bunch of shootings, uh, some of them particularly, I, I have a hard time getting worked up about. For example, Rashard Brooks in, in Atlanta that caused violence in Atlanta after he was shot and killed. Uh, the, the police absolutely did their jobs till Rashard Brooks turned violent in a split second, grabbed one of their tasers, tried to fire it at a police officer, and he fired and killed Rashard Brooks. Or take Jacob Blake. 
based on what has been reported thus far about that individual, he was tased by police. It did not deter him. He tried to reach into his car. We now know there was a knife in his car, whether he was trying to reach for it or not. Did not respond to the police, and the police officer opened fire on him. I have a real hard time condemning the police for that. Jacob Blake is lucky to be alive. He was shot seven times, and and you have people out there who are not involved in police, do not seem to know how guns work, and, and they seem to demand that, you know, maybe just shoot him in the leg. I have a real hard time uh, using the police body camera footage of, of various incidents to second-guess police officers who are making split-second decisions in, in scenes that play out over 10, 15 seconds. And activists want to armchair quarterback who weren't there, don't understand the situation, and yet want to burn down America because of what they perceive or, or predefine before the facts come out what actually happened. You know, we've got a problem with racism in the country, and per capita, the police do tend to uh, behave differently uh, around black suspects than white suspects. Per capita, there are more po- there are more police uh, by number shootings of white people in this country, but per capita, there are a fewer number of black people in this country than white people. Per capita, uh, there are more black shootings by police officers in this country. Uh, and I'm not willing to label them all bad because a lot of those involve gangs and other things that skew the numbers, and we should judge them individually. We can look at what happened with George Floyd and an officer's knee on his neck for 8 minutes, 46 seconds, and say that's unacceptable, particularly when the other officers are telling the officer he can cut it out now. But I got a real hard time using that to define every every single action by police if we're to judge people individually. Now, if we're to judge people by a group, then we need to judge the Black Lives Matters people by their group as well. And so we need to judge them by the activists who tried to kill two police officers. We need to judge them by the activists who tried to block the, the hospital and then storm the hospital and drag out the body so they couldn't be saved. We need to define them by the protesters who are showing up at restaurants and people's houses to harass people. Which is it? Do we judge each one individually or do we judge them by a group? Because I got to tell you, if we're judging by a group, I'm on the side of the police and everybody else is too. I got to tell you guys, um, I I am, I, you know, I, I don't have a sense of what's shaping up. I, I, I see where the poll trends are and, and the like. Uh, with the election, where things are going. And, and I, I don't really know what to make of it because I, I do have the suspicion that, as I've said, we got to follow, you got to follow poll averages. And you can't follow individual polls. It is remarkable to me, and I want to get into this later. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it right now. But the Fox News polling that's out there uh, has been fairly consistently terrible for the president. I mean, genuinely, uh, consistently terrible for the president. And what is remarkable to me is that it has shifted dramatically towards the president uh, in the last couple couple of weeks. And this is really the first major Fox News poll since both conventions and everything else that's been going on. And there's a big, uh, I mean, the president is now within five points. And I, I, there are some people that I, I, and I probably need to get Sean Trinity to come on the show and talk to me because I was listening to a, a uh, conversation he had with uh, another guy I follow, Liam Donovan, on on social media. They, they're, um, um, blah, 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 blah. 
I'm sorry, my brain just went blank. <laughs> uh, oh, Liam, he, so he's a, he's a political guy, a pollster. Uh, and, and so they were talking about polling. And uh, that that Sean Trendy, whose work I respect tremendously, writes over Real Clear Politics, saying he's not sure we really have gotten the weighting right on college-educated white people versus non-college-educated white people. And, you know, white white people used to tend to vote in the same way. So you'd have a, a white college-educated voter and a uh, white non-college-educated voter, and they would tend to vote in the same way. And with the rise of Donald Trump, they actually have deviated. Uh, the more education you have, the less likely you are as a white person to support Donald Trump. Or e- even if you support him, you're more likely to be skeptical of him even so. And if you have less education, you tend to be much, and you're white, you tend to be much more supportive of the president. And I'm starting to wonder, and, and Sean Trindy actually uh, he, he talks about this, that he's just not sure we really have sorted all this stuff out. We did go back in the polling and, and measure things, and, and Sean has noted, as I have with you guys, that the direction in which we go is very much, um, we, we can see the direction we're headed in this country in the polling. The polling trends show us uh, fairly accurately where we're headed as a country. So, for example, uh, around the time of the George Floyd situation, there's a huge rise in support for Black Lives Matters, And with all the writing and stuff, there's a huge decline for it. And that actually does seem to be reflected in popular sentiment. And we see this as well in the polling, like if there's a big shift towards the Democrats, like in 2018, individual polls were off, but the polling trends were in the right direction. There was a huge momentum towards the Democrats in 2018. We saw this in the polls. People said, no, no, the polls are all wrong. But overall, the polling trends were headed in the right direction. That's why I depend on the averages, not the individual polls. The averages tend to sort out the the, the, the general fuzziness of the individual polls. But the polling trends were headed in the right direction, and and you could see that. And so I I think it is notable that the polling trends right now suggest Hispanic voters are rapidly moving towards Donald Trump. And I think it is notable the polling trends show black men are moving towards Donald Trump. And I think it is notable that in the Fox poll, which of the major pollsters in this country, the Fox poll has been remarkably hostile towards the president. And that's not a bias in the polling. It's it's their sampling of how they sample people. And even the Fox poll, which of the major pollsters out there right now, particularly the major media pollsters, they've been the one that has shown the president's performance worst. And suddenly it's narrowed to within five points. And what have I said? When you get to about five points, the race is up for grabs. And that's the president nationally. And so I think there's there's a relevance here to what's happening in the country with the Black Lives Matters situation. When you saw, for example, in the Kansas City Chiefs game, the booing of the audience. Now, I watched the the Cowboys game last night. Uh, Oh, the Cowboys. And there, there was no crowd there. That you had crowd noise. That actually, they did a good job of making it sound like there were people in the in the stands, but there was no crowd there. But there is beginning to be a backlash against the organization, and even Joe Biden this weekend rapidly came out and uh, condemned the shooting of the police officers. Something is happening out there, and it's starting to spook Democrats. And that's the most notable thing is they're noticing it.
I have a phone number and you are allowed to call. It is 877-973-7425. Uh, you are, you're more than welcome to call. Uh, I, I, I want to spend just a little bit more before I move on to this other stuff. I, I'm, you know, I, I find myself daring to be a nuanced person. So, for example, uh, I have, since this pandemic began in January, if you've been listening to this program, been advising you that it was going to be not just a problem, but a big problem, and that it was going to be worse than the flu. It was more deadly than the flu. And even um, have advised you to wear masks, recommended places you can get masks. And yet, at the same time, while doing all of that, also uh, really opposed to the whole idea of bullying people for not wearing masks. And really opposed to some of the hysteria in the media when it comes to the virus. And on and on it goes. Uh, I, I have been uh, concerned with people, with the conspiracy theorists who tell you that it is not bad, and I have been concerned with the media telling you it's way worse than it actually is. I, I feel like I'm on a, a lonely island. Of of and, and you never want to presume that you're the only reasonable voice because then that usually means you're you're not reasonable. Uh, but I have tried very hard to balance out the the facts and the data and keep you apprised as, as new research comes in and data changes and talk to actual experts and have them on the program and, and talk about all of it. I feel very much the same way with the uh, Black Lives Matter situation in this country. Defending the statement Black Lives Matter, defending uh, the people who would say that instead of all lives matter and explaining why that, for example, uh, if during World War II you found out of, of the Nazis uh, and the Holocaust, you would want to say that Jewish lives matter. You wouldn't be doubling down on defense of all lives matter at the time because the situation was with uh, what was happening to the Jews. As Black Lives Matter is a situation in this country that I think the statement is fair to say, it is accurate to say, and there is racism in this country that needs to be dealt with. And I have seen that racism up close, the casual racism of people. I've seen it. I recognize it. I know it's real. But I also have a real hard time with the, this, this latest trend of we need to capitalize black but not white in, in news reports. I have a real hard time with we need to reprioritize, defund, or, or, or do something with police, all police departments. I have a real hard time getting worked up uh, with the, the idea that we, we somehow need to prioritize uh, the views on systemic racism in this country, that the whole country is founded on racism. I, I've got a real problem with the 1619 Project trying to revise uh, the United States as, as something it is not and never was. And I have a real problem with people within churches embracing a lot of this. It seems like people have a hard time finding the balance, and, and I'm not saying that I have the best balance. But I am saying that uh, th this all or nothing swinging between 
um, between what is and what isn't, the the swing between it's all bad or it's all good or let's live in denial or let's say everything is racist. I got a problem with all of that. I've got a real problem with all of it. And and, uh, to be quite honest with you, it makes me take it all less serious. And I think it's a serious problem. And that bugs me. I have seen racism in the country. I've seen it happen with friends of mine. And I have a really hard time blanketly condemning police universally for some of them. I have a real hard time when when I see a a George Floyd situation or an Ahmaud Arbery situation and the like, I I got a real hard time then looking at the Richard Brooks situation or the Jacob Lake situation. See, see, it's just like the rest of those. And Ahmaud Arbery is somewhat different in in that it was more of a cover-up than than police brutality. But the inability for people to be able to distinguish at this point, I just want to check out of it altogether. And, And I don't think you can. And there is a, there is a, I, I guess I, I feel like I'm, and I'm only speaking for myself here. I'm not speaking for any of you. I'm just telling you where I am on this. There are issues we need to deal with in this country. But I almost want to hit pause on trying to deal with them. I, I, I want to hit pause on trying to deal with them because I think we're at a point of irrationality in the media coverage and in the protests. You know, I don't think that we meditated enough as a nation on James Hodgkinson attempting the mass assassination of Republican members of Congress because James Hodgkinson really believe the rhetoric that Republicans were trying to kill people. James Hodgkinson was insane. And you know, back in 2014, there was a a police killing in New York. A man went from Baltimore, Maryland, up to New York City. This was after the Ferguson, Missouri stuff. And executed two police officers, shooting them in the back of their head. Very much like the guy in in Los Angeles uh, coming up to their police car. But this guy went up to the police cars and executed these two police officers. And Rudy Giuliani at the time blasted Eric Holder and Barack Obama and said their words provoked this guy, led this guy, incited this guy to kill. And the media very forcefully, the Boston Globe, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Uh, The various talking heads on television pushed back very hard against Rudy Giuliani and said, no, 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 an individual is responsible for his actions, not a group, not someone else inciting them. It's that individual. And when, what's his name, Jared Lautner, uh, tried to kill Gabriel Giffords, the entire Tea Party movement was indicted. Even though he wasn't related, it wasn't political. The initial presumption was it was, and it was the Tea Party rhetoric to blame. But when this guy tried, this guy actually executed two police officers in New York City, no, individual alone is to blame. You get to James Hodgkinson, 
who is fueled by several left-wing websites. He's a Bernie Sanders supporter, and his claim is that the Republicans really are bad people who are trying to kill others, who are provoking racism in this country, and someone needs to take action. And he tries a mass assassination of Republican members of Congress, coming very, very close to killing Steve Scalise. And again, we're back to this is just an individual. We can't blame Democratic rhetoric. Now we've got protesters marching in the street, burning down buildings, trying to kill police officers, and suddenly it's it's not them, it's the president. It's the president's rhetoric that's causing this. It wasn't Eric Holder and Barack Obama's rhetoric that caused that guy to drive up to New York City and execute two police officers in in the wake of the Ferguson, Missouri situation. But it is Donald Trump's rhetoric that is inciting progressive activists to burn down buildings and attempt to assassinate police officers. And then when Nancy Pelosi comes out and says the Republicans are the enemy, they're bad people, the Republicans are trying to kill people, the media doesn't hold her accountable, but if the president said it, they would hold him accountable. It's a double standard that no one on the left seems to want to reconcile. It's a double standard that no one on the left seems to want to point out. It's a double standard that no one in the media seems to want to recognize or treat legitimately and ask questions about. And I've got a serious problem with that, and I've got a serious problem with being whipped up into a frenzy about injustice in this country when no one seems to want to care about the other half of the injustice. If one is bad, the other is bad. If one does not incite people to violence with the rhetoric, the other doesn't either. I've got a a real hard time with the double standard in how the media is doing this. For example, I I follow a guy, and I'm I'm not going to give you his information, but but he had an Instagram story up. It's a guy I follow, uh, was out and about in New York City. I thought it was Los Angeles, but it's actually, it was New York City. And Black Lives Matter's protesters showed up at restaurants. He was there. He saw the crowd. He, he videotaped as the Black Lives Matter's protesters were disrupting people at a restaurant, uh, breaking things, knocking over tables, uh, spitting in people's food, demanding they throw fists in the air in solidarity. Never got any media coverage. Never made the nightly news. The media would have you believe this stuff isn't happening. You know, there's a lot of lecturing in the media on how Donald Trump is an authoritarian. Uh, Donald Trump would end the the free press and on and on. It's not really a free press when the press itself is hijacked by a movement and can't tell you what's actually going on. It's not really a free press when the media is only giving you one side of the story to provoke a narrative against the president. We had over the weekend a an activist, and, and this person was an activist. You can't tell me the person wasn't an activist because the person, uh, inspired by rhetoric, et cetera, that this person decided to go out and kill police officers. Inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement, and, and you're deluding yourself if you want to deny that fact. And the lead story at CNN this morning is that the president had a maskless rally in Nevada. Why? Because I can assure you 
if it was a white person who went into a crowd of Black Lives Matter activists and tried to kill some of them, it would be a multi-day story at CNN. I, I, I guarantee you it would be. And it would be the lead story everywhere. It is not the lead story on the Monday morning after this happened. It is not the lead story anywhere in America. Let, let, let's review the headlines, shall we? Because I, I, I think this is notable and I think this is important. CNN, top story at CNN right now, Trump mocks distancing with dangerous rally. New York Times, top story in visiting California, Trump confronts a scientific reality he denies. Los Angeles Times, extreme heat, rare summer snow brought unprecedented West Coast fire. The BBC climate row as Trump visits fire hit West Coast. Google News, top story, thousands of firefighters continue to battle California fires. Drudge Report, it's uh, Kaepernick takes aim at the NFL BLM propaganda and fire tornadoes in California. The Washington Post, Latino groups warn that Biden's sluggish outreach efforts could be costly. And right underneath that, Biden, Trump, focus on California wildfires. The Politico, inside Joe's bubble, how the campaign is trying to avoid the virus. And on and on and on it goes. You don't see a story about that. You don't see a story about any of this. I am more and more mindful of how the media is shaping the stories. I'm more and more mindful about how the media is not telling you the full story. We are in a situation, we are very much in a situation where there are a lot of relevant stories out there and the media does need to compete between the stories and the media does need to cover the wildfires. But are the wildfires that have been going on for weeks a bigger story than a Black Lives Matters activist trying to assassinate two police officers and the Black Lives Matters activist blocking the hospital, trying to storm the hospital, chanting death to the police officers? Is that Which is the bigger story? And I would submit to you that part of the problem here now is that the media is so invested in the defeat of Donald Trump that they're prioritizing stories based on whether or not it will hurt the president. So you're not going to get a story about Black Lives Matter activists killing police officers or attempting to kill or police kill police officers because that story helps the president's polling and they know it. I care about these issues. I care about dealing with racism in the country. But I have a real hard time uh, getting worked up too much about police in this country when we're told relentlessly you can't judge Black Lives Matter activists by the 5% of, of protests that go wrong. Why then should we judge all police officers by the bad apples within the police department? And why shouldn't the news be shaped accordingly?
Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Can I, can I make a, a, a brief commentary on life, if you'll allow me? <laughs> well, you have to. Yeah, you're a captured audience here. There, there's nothing else on the radio. I sat on my front porch last night uh, with a box of cigars, a bottle of bourbon, and my friend Philip, and we watched football. And life felt normal. The uh, NBC Sports guys actually did a good job, I think, of of piping in sound that made the st- stadium sound like there was there was a crowd. Without it, it was a very generic, innocuous stadium noise. The they focused so much on the field, you didn't realize there weren't crowds in the stands. But it felt normal. Life felt normal for the last. Six months or so, life hasn't really felt normal. I was actually talking to a friend of mine this morning who said he still, he's not getting together with large groups of people. He can't. His his wife, like my wife, uh, have uh, health problems. And so he's not. And it, he feels very, very isolated. And I've been trying to tell him, I was like, you know, you can come down here, stay at my house. I, I've largely done the same, hanging out with a select group of people who, have are responsible enough that I'm I'm not really worried about it. We we can't put our li- our wives' health in jeopardy. But last night felt normal to sit on a front porch with a friend and watch a football game. Last night felt kind of normal, like life is returning. Having sports come back, I think, is a good thing. There is a lot of resentment over the the tie-in to Black Lives Matter. Uh, I kudos to CBS for telling its announcers yesterday to not highlight it. Uh, NBC went out of their way to highlight it, uh, to make a big deal out of it. CBS did not. It is rather bizarre, is it not, that we went from uh, people needing to explain why they were taking a knee to now almost you've got to explain why you're not. Uh, it's 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 fascinating. Very fascinating uh, to, to see how people are reacting to the social justice causes within sports. Uh, particularly, you know, there there is, uh, you got to acknowledge there's a level of hypocrisy in the NFL, may, or not the NFL, the NBA, making so much money off of China, refusing to even talk about the people of Hong Kong or the Uyghurs, uh, and yet want to lecture us here in this country about things. I, I do think that's relevant and needs to be acknowledged. But wow, y'all, last night, once you got past the opening of the game and you just got to the game itself, things felt normal. And then, and then, and then, and I missed this game because I was, I had to run a bunch of errands yesterday. I missed Tom Brady losing to Drew Drew Brees. I can't talk this morning. Do you know, so the NFL stats uh, have noted that Tom Brady and Drew Brees have faced each other uh, seven times, or six six or seven times, and Drew Brees has bested Tom Brady four of those times. Uh, Drew Brees has bested Tom Brady in the majority of the games in which they faced each other. Uh, and, and then you add one more yesterday, which is good for me. I, I've never been a big Brady fan. Uh, and, you know, can I just say what, what, one last thing here? You know, I'm, I'm not an NFL expert by any stretch of the magic. Anybody who knows me knows I, I, I will watch a game, but I am I am not an expert in, in sports. I'm not a huge sports ball guy. Uh, I like to hit golf balls, and I like to watch college football games. 
and go to baseball games. But I, I just, last year, and I mentioned this on the program, before the start of the last football season, there were all of those fawning profiles of Tom Brady and how great he was and what good shape he was in and, and how great and on and on it went. And all of that just struck me as hubris. It, it struck me as planted stories to prop him up. And maybe it turns out Bill Belichick really was the coach who who was helping them win as opposed to Tom Brady's prowess on the field. I, I, I realize you're not supposed to say that sort of stuff because Tom Brady is 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 a god. And listen, that this isn't to distract from uh, him actually being a really good football player, but it really just struck me as as hubris to read those profiles. And it's starting to, to bear out, it appears, on the football field with the Buccaneers of all things. But life felt normal sitting outside watching all that last night. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me this morning. Uh, Small prayer request, if you will. I'm a little bit discombobulated in that my... Uh, my, my wife has her quarterly scans tomorrow. We, we're not expecting anything, but it always makes me apprehensive. Uh, for, for those of you who are new here uh, and haven't listened, my, my wife's got lung cancer. It is a rare genetic cancer. There's, there's no cure for it, uh, but it, it is kept at bay with a pill that she takes every day. It causes some weird side effects, um, but the the cancer the tumors cannot spread so she's got this not to not to dwell on it but she's the the type of lung cancer she has it's it's genetic uh, and I I say that because every time I say she's got cancer I get you'd be surprised at the number of emails I get from people telling me which essential oils will cure it um, and maybe she got radon exposure or, or something like that and pursue these treatments it is genetic. Uh, is sure her whole family has a bad history of cancer. Uh, she got the lung as opposed to the breast cancer genes and in her family and excuse me, there's, there's not a way, uh, around it, but she takes a pill every day that keeps the tumors from growing. And that pill is typically lasts about two to three years. We're into our fourth year now. And so she goes for quarterly scans to make sure it's still working and we, by all indications, it is. The, the pill, when it's working, it has very weird side effects. And she's got them all this week. Um, but I always get apprehensive. Uh, and I, and more so now because I can't go with her. Uh, before the virus, we I would take the day off. We would go to Atlanta. We would go to the doctor. She would go up the night before. I'd take the kids to school the next day, drive up, meet her. Uh, we would go to the scans, talk to her doctor, go to lunch, and come home. And now she's got to do it all by herself. Uh, good news or bad news, nobody can go with her. And that just makes it more apprehensive uh, for for me and for her. Uh, more so for me, she's she's a champ. My wife is my hero, uh, but it makes me nervous and discombobulated. So <laughs> prayers, prayers, prayers appreciated. Uh, I want to spend a moment talking about nonpartisan but political topic a nonpartisan but political topic. That is voting. Many of you, a great many of you, are concerned about the election in November. And I I don't care whether you are 
a Democrat or a Republican, an independent, a moderate, a Biden supporter, a Trump supporter, a libertarian. Okay, I kind of care if you're a libertarian. <laughs> kidding, kidding, libertarian. I, I don't care. A lot of you have concerns about the election and the direction of the country. And there are a couple of things that you can and should do. Uh, basically, this is your put up or shut up moment. Do you know you can call your board of elections and you can volunteer to be a poll worker? If you have no faith in the integrity of the election, go volunteer to be a poll worker and see it firsthand yourself and try to prevent the problems from happening. A poll worker is someone who gets trained and shows up and runs the polling location on election day. And if you say you have no time and you can't, well, maybe you shouldn't be complaining about the integrity of the election when you can't be bothered to take a day off work and actually help the election. In fact, I guarantee you, your employer will probably encourage you to do it at this point. Uh, Polling locations in this country typically depend on retirees because of the virus. Fewer of them are willing to work uh, or able to work, and they need people to help. People young and people old, they need to help. They need you to help regardless of party. They need you to help regardless of ideology. Uh, Your local board of elections could use your help. If you don't want to work for the board of elections and manage an election and oversee an election and, and help an election be conducted flawlessly, consider being a poll watcher for your political party of choice. Every party has poll watchers who are watching the polls. In fact, in many states, not all states, but in most states, and I believe here in Georgia, you can show up at polls as a designated uh, partisan and observe the process and document problems and have uh, people's elections or people's cell phone numbers. So if there's an elections problem, you can call your local party chairman and say, get here quick, there's a problem. If you don't want to volunteer to help conduct an election, volunteer for your local political party to ensure the integrity of your party's vote at the election. There are a whole lot of people who like to complain, but they don't actually like to do anything. There are a whole lot of people who complain for the sake of complaining. And there are a whole lot of people who complain out of ignorance. You yourself, you yourself have the ability to volunteer. To volunteer for your local government as a worker or your local party as a watcher, as a volunteer. But it goes beyond that as well, because for your local political party, you can volunteer to make phone calls and phone bank. You can volunteer to stuff envelopes, to knock on doors in some cases, to put out yard signs. You can get involved in the process. I really don't care which party you want to volunteer for. Hear, hear me with this because sometimes I get hate mail when I say it this way, particularly from, from uh, my fellow conservatives. But I really don't care what party 
you want to work for, if you want to work for a party, go do it. Go, go volunteer. There are so many people who like to complain about the state of affairs in this country, but they won't lift a finger to do anything about it. So like the people who complain about the homeless problem in their city and, and won't lift a finger to write a check to a homeless shelter. You have the ability to actually participate in the changes that you want by volunteering, by sweat equity. You don't just have to write a check, sweat equity. If you're worried about them stealing the election from your guy, go volunteer for your guy to be a poll watcher, whoever your guy is. If you're worried about the overall integrity of the election, go volunteer to be a poll worker for your local board of elections so that you yourself can see how the process is run and make sure the process is run with integrity. If you're concerned that uh, partisan activists on the other side are going to go be the volunteer poll workers and they're going to, from their perch as a poll worker, sabotage the election from within, will you go be a poll worker too? But save me your Facebook conspiracy theories and your complaining about the integrity of the election when you yourself aren't going to do a single thing about it. I actually have great faith in the integrity of elections. There will always be problems. You know, this is one of the things that people do when they want to undermine the integrity of the election. There are always problems. I am unaware of any election that has ever been conducted flawlessly in this country. There are always problems. There are always people who vote who shouldn't. The Secretary of State in Georgia is uh, once indicted a 1,000 people who double voted in the primaries. The, he insists, based on their data, that their double voting did not affect the outcome of the election at all. But there are people who will take that kernel of truth that a 1,000 people double voted and they will amplify it into proof that the entire election is rigged. You want to make sure that's not the case? Go volunteer. See it up close and personal firsthand how it works. Not just you as a voter, but you inside a polling location. Call your local board of elections wherever you are in the country listening to me right now. Ask how you can volunteer to help in the November election. Ask what you can do. And if your local board of elections says, hey, you know what? Uh, we, it's, it's too late for you to learn and, and you can't help now. We're sorry. Or we're all manned up. We don't need anybody else, which isn't likely. Then call your local political party of the candidate you prefer and say, what can I do to help on election day? But don't just be passively complaining about stuff when you're convinced the election is being stolen or rigged or flawed or, or lacks integrity when you yourself can generate some sweat equity in ensuring the fairness of the process as either a partisan poll watcher or volunteer on election day or a poll worker for a board of elections. We seem to have a, the great crisis of the day in the United States is the people who want to complain and do nothing. I mean, it, it, people, you, you've got these Black Lives Matters people who are marching in the streets claiming they want to affect change. What are they really doing? They're, they're alienating people and pissing people off. They're not really doing anything. And a lot of them, people want to know who's paying the Black Lives Matter activists. We are, the nation. We're paying $600 a week in unemployment. Uh, they got plenty of time and money to go protest. You yourself can actually make a real difference without alienating people by working on the integrity of the process. It, it's possible to do. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, 
increasingly, I, man, I, I, I am only, I just turned 45 a couple of months ago, and I, I, I sometimes feel like I'm a 70 or 80-year-old in, in the stuff that bugs me these days. And it just, it really more and more bugs me to hear people complain, the nation sucks, going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, have you voted? Nope. Okay. Or the election is flawed, the election is rigged. Um, it, it doesn't matter that they're going to steal it anyway. Have you signed up to be a local board of elections volunteer? Nope. Well, it's not going to happen in my area. It's going to happen in somebody else's area, and they're going to steal it somewhere else. Well, do you know anybody in that area that you can call and encourage them to be a volunteer? Nope. Some people just want to complain for the sake of complaining. We, we, we have become uh, social media amplifies and gives voice to the complainers, and the complainers complain, and they don't really do anything. You, you guys, there are plenty of options out there for you if you want to help. Doesn't matter if if you're down in Brunswick, uh, you're up in Rome, you're in Dalton or, or Clarksville or Athens, Macon, Valdosta, uh, Albany, a a Adel, wherever. Call your local board of elections. Tell them you want to be a poll worker. You want to get trained. You you want to volunteer. You want to sign up. You want to help. And if they tell you that, that too late or you can't or or that they got enough people, call your local party, Democrat, Republican, whatever, and say you want to help on election day. Assign me to a poll to be a poll watcher, to watch the process. Teach me what to look for and go do it. Be engaged. Don't just passively whine about stuff because we, we got enough whiners out there marching in the streets right now who aren't really doing anything. They just want to march and disrupt people's lives. Uh, don't be disruptive. Actually, actually take hold of the issue that you care about and work to make it better. You can do that on election day. Go do it. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I don't know if you heard Colin Kaepernick is that upset at the NFL virtue signaling. You know, I got to give Kaepernick credit, believe it or not. Um, I I think the guy is, is, uh, wants way too much attention for himself. Uh, but he has put his money where his mouth is. Now, he's made mint uh, from Nike and the like, but he's used that money uh, for causes he believes in. A lot of these people just want a virtue signal. The NFL itself just wants to virtue signal. You know, I, listen, I, I, I respect people who put their money where their mouth is. Uh, like in the last segment, all the people who complain and don't actually want to volunteer or do anything. Um, I got a hard time really engaging with those people. Concurrently, Ka- uh, Kaepernick, uh, though I disagree with him, is willing to write checks. And good for him. And he is upset with the virtue signaling by the NFL. And that is a lot of it. I mean, can we be really honest here? Having a bunch of multimillionaires and billionaires lecture the rest of us on how unfair America is when you're a multimillionaire or a billionaire because you play a game. Now, some of you will be offended by me saying that, but it's football game. You play sports and you make multi hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And then you want to lecture us on, on how unfair America is. I just, I, it, I, I, and that they're, they're, they're too clueless to realize that maybe they're not the best voices on this front. They're, they're too clueless to realize that maybe they're not the best messengers for the point. So, I mean, kudos to Colin Kaepernick for calling them out on this. It, you know, so it, it, as opposed to everything else out there, the um, Drudge has this up. Let, let me pull up the story here. 
Uh, yes, Kaepernick tapes aim at propaganda. This is from uh, Yahoo Sports. Former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick said NFL social justice initiatives were propaganda on Sunday as scattered protests marked the first full day of the 2020 season. Kaepernick, who launched his kneeling protest in 2016 to draw attention to racial injustice, questioned the sincerity of the NFL's stance against racism, citing the fact that fellow player activist Eric Reed remained unemployed. Reed, who joined Kaepernick's protest in 2016 when the two played for the 49ers, was released by the Carolina Panthers in March in a move that surprised many. The 28-year-old safety, who continued to kneel last season during the pregame play of the National Anthem, has not been hired since. While the NFL runs propaganda about how they care about black life, they are still actively blackballing Eric Reed for fighting for the black community. Um, You know, Kaepernick doesn't have a job either. And notice this is this is part of what aggravates me about this. His assumption, and, and he may be right, but I don't know, and I don't know that he knows. His assumption is that Eric Reed was dropped because of that. There, I saw plenty of players in that game last night who knelt. I don't see him losing their jobs. Uh, and, and this is the problem with Kaepernick. Let, let us review, shall we? Kaepernick decided that he wanted to go back into the NFL, and he came to Georgia and was going to use the Falcons practice facility in Gainesville, Georgia to show how good he was and at the last minute decided instead, uh, without telling them, that he was going to show up at a football field at a high school, uh, the south side of Atlanta in, in near um, the Atlanta airport and had a camera crew in tow to not only show him practicing but to show that nobody came. Well, they couldn't come because they had all run up to Gainesville, Georgia, to watch him. And they didn't know he was going to be down there. He delayed notifying anybody until it was too late for them to get there and then tried to play victim. And, you know, most of the American press ran with the propaganda. Maybe, 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 it, you know, it, it is very much like the the uh, the groundhog. Every year we, we have to run a story on whether or not the groundhog saw a shadow. Every year now, we got to run a story right before NFL season starts on whether Kaepernick has a job or not. Six more weeks of football season, Kaepernick doesn't have a job. Maybe maybe that's why he doesn't have a job. Maybe if, if you could actually wrap up football season uh, or, or ensure that if he had a job, you could get six more weeks of football season. Maybe maybe he'd do I, I don't know. But it's ridiculous. Every, every year, we got to have the, does Kaepernick have a job? Uh, is somebody going to hire this guy? Why won't you? It's racism. The owners are racist. And now he's out saying, oh, Eric Reed as well. Maybe, maybe he wasn't fired for that. Maybe he's just not the good. And, and you know, I got to tell you, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that in some of these cases, some of these guys could be fired for not necessarily being as great as people want to claim. And then say, oh, no, it was racism. And the media makes them a martyr. They, they get great deals. They, they get great, uh, I mean, Kaepernick and his Nike deal. And meanwhile, the sport moves on without him. Uh, just the, the victimization of this. I mean, ultimately, the NFL cares about its bottom line. It cares about its revenue. It cares about making money. It cares about having really good football players who can become stars, who can generate buzz. And Kaepernick, distracted from the game, alienated a lot of fans and maybe wasn't as great as as his press would have you believe you know the downside in all these things is always believing your press 
Never, ever believe your press. And Kaepernick seems to believe he's the greatest football player of all time and that he's denied his job uh, because of oppression and racism when probably not. You know, it's like nobody in the media really cared about Tim Tebow. In fact, the the media ridiculed the idea of Tim Tebow going into the NFL, uh, Jesus freak that he was. Uh, and, and he wasn't the greatest football player, and he, and he couldn't he couldn't continue to play, even though he was a great college football player. Didn't translate, and no one in the media made it a big deal about him uh, or religious persecution. Or anything. A lot of Christians thought he was being persecuted, but with Kaepernick, it's 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 got to be persecution first, not performance. Always persecution first, not performance on the left. Uh, when maybe it's not, and um, maybe it's time to move on from Colin Kaepernick. Maybe just maybe. And, and maybe, just maybe, the fans aren't racist because they're booing, booing the Black Lives Matter stuff. Maybe it's that they realize Black Lives Matter is becoming something people shouldn't associate with. Maybe, just maybe, they know that. I'm assuming you've all heard by now, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene will definitely be going. I mean, there was really no doubt that she would be headed to Congress after the election. There was no way that her opponent up in northwest Georgia was going to win. I mean, that that district, I mean, if if Jesus ran as a Democrat, he would lose to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, it's just that district is drawn for Republicans. And, you know, so th- this, is, this is a frustration of mine with politics these days. Allow me to vent just a little bit on, on uh, activists in politics. And, and I have spent lots of time, including on my show today, encouraging you to be an activist in politics. But, you know, you got to be smart. I hear all the time, like, like I get um, calls from people all the time. There's somebody running in a congressional district who wants to be on the program. Don't don't want to get into details about the person. Uh, but the district is a D plus 30 district. That means that there are 30% more Democrats in that district than Republicans. And yet there are people convinced, 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 convinced that this Republican candidate, if only they could come on my program, would surely win that election. No, they won't. That district is drawn in such a way to ensure that no Republican ever is going to win that district. And I abhor wasting your time pitching candidates to you, because that's essentially what it is, is me letting a candidate come on to to tell you all about how grand and glorious they are and please support them. And some of you would not pay attention to the dynamics of the district and you would write money to that candidate. You write money. You'd write a check to that candidate. You would give that candidate money and your money is better spent on a race that actually is winnable. Your money is better spent on a race uh, that is viable. Your money is better spent on a, a race where you've got a Republican who's on defense and needs to be saved, or it's a swing district where a Democrat took it over and a Republican could win it back. Your your money is better spent here in Georgia supporting Karen Handel or Rich McCormick. Frankly, your money is better spent on a Rich McCormick or a Karen Handel in swing districts than it is on um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene up in her district or Austin Scott in his district or uh, Buddy Carter in his district or, or whoever. And, and the reason I say that, no no disrespect intended to any of them, but those districts are absolutely fundamentally drawn for a Republican to win. 
That's why the Democrat in North Georgia in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district is not going to win, could not win, would not win. Uh, there's no point. And he got a ton of money from Democratic activists. And good, I'm okay with the Democrats doing that. Uh, that They could have sent money to a Democratic candidate who was actually viable. Instead, they chose to send it to him to try to make him viable because they don't like Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and the QAnon stuff. I, I'm not a huge fan of hers. Uh, and, but she's going to win the district. She will be the congresswoman from that dr- district. It, it doesn't. And again, if Jesus Christ himself showed up tomorrow and declared himself a Democratic candidate for Congress in the 14th congressional district in Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene would beat Jesus Christ. That is just a fact of the matter. It is the way gerrymandering works. It is the way districts work. Uh, there's no reason for you to call in Huffy with me for that comparison. I, I use Jesus intentionally because y'all all love Jesus. But if he had a D next to his name, you would vote for the Republican in that district. That is the way it works. In the same way, if Jesus Christ came back tomorrow and ran in John Lewis's old district as a Republican against Nakemia Williams, who was replacing John Lewis, the people in that district would vote for the Democrat over Jesus. That district is drawn for a Democrat. I don't understand why people have a hard time wrapping their brain around. I'm actually genuinely shocked at the number of political activists I get uh, who call me, email me. In fact, I've got one right now who is insistent that a write-in candidate uh, as a Republican in a Democratic district that I need to give this person airtime. And I, I don't mean to be rude. I don't mean to be disparaging, but no. No. Uh, write-in candidates have limited viability at all. A write-in Republican candidate in a district that is 60-70% Democrat has no viability. Why do I want to waste my time? Why do I want to waste your time? Why do I want to waste your money? Why do I want to convince you to give money to a losing cause uh, when there are plenty of candidates out there who could win? Rich McCormick in the 7th Congressional District here in Georgia is a must-hold seat for the GOP nationwide. Nationwide, if you want to give money to a race to have a meaningful impact on the House of Representatives, Rich McCormick in the 7th Congressional District here in Georgia is one to give to. If you want to take a seat back, Karen Handel in the 6th Congressional District here in Georgia. we got two swing seats in Georgia. They are not just swing seats in, in the, the common vernacular. They actually are swing districts. Uh, Lucy McBath is having money. For, Lucy McBath beat Karen Handel last time by only a couple thousand votes. It was a race where the Republicans failed to mount a ground game, and she is deeply vulnerable. In fact, she is very, very anti-gun, and the anti-gun groups have come into the state to help her, and not a single one of them wants you to know how anti-gun she is. They're running stuff about her support of health care and Obamacare and, and government reform and standing up to Donald Trump. They're not actually talking about she wants to take your guns away because they know that's not a winning issue in her district. By the way, if you're a gun owner, you probably ought to write a check to Karen Handel and try to help her take that seat back. Because if Joe Biden does win and Lucy McBath were to win, uh, she would be drafting a very anti-gun gun control legislation. I just have a hard time wanting to give air to people who have no viability in politics. And I'm sorry if that upsets some of you. And I know it does because I see the emails. But I have an obligation to my listeners to neither delude you nor have people take advantage of you. 
And when a district is drawn to ensure that no Republican or no Democrat could ever win, I see no reason to highlight a candidate and claim that they have some level of viability when I know they don't. I've been in politics long enough to know. Uh, the, the very rare upset is a statewide situation like Doug Jones in Alabama, where Roy Moore was so deeply flawed and had so many stories about him. Uh, it turned that race and even Republicans voted against Roy Moore. But at a local congressional level, uh, the, the Democrat who was running against Marjorie Taylor Greene never had a shot. Now, it turns out that there were a lot of it, it's, it's funny how people work, how the mind works. So the guy dropped out completely unexpectedly on Friday. Tom Graves, by the way, the sitting congressman, uh, Tom Graves has announced that he's going to resign early. Uh, Tom Graves has said that the work of Congress is going to be done by the end of October. He sees no reason to sit around on taxpayer dime until January. He's going to go on and start his life. I don't know what he's going to do afterwards, uh, but he's he says he's done, and he don't want to keep taking a taxpayer paycheck to not work, so he'll be done in October. Uh, and that won't, the, there won't be a special election cause it'll only be two months. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene will be sworn in in January. Uh, but uh, the Democrat, there was all sorts of speculation that the Democrat up there that, oh, they're threatening QAnon came after him. He's fearing for his life. He's gone into hiding. It, it is amazing. The amount of speculation. Nope. Turns out his wife threw him out of the house and they're getting a divorce. That's it. That's it. Should probably keep him in your prayers, but that that's the answer. There was no grand, elaborate conspiracy theory or anything like that. It just happens to turn out uh, that he was cooking dinner on Friday, on Thursday night. He was cooking dinner, and a sheriff's deputy showed up at the door and served him divorce papers from his wife. They share the house, so he has is moving out of the house. He's moving to Indiana to live with family there, and you can't run for Congress across state lines. Uh, the Constitution itself actually prohibits that. You don't have to live in a congressional district, but you do have to actually live in the state. And so since he's moving to Indiana, he can't keep running. Interestingly enough, they noted he's got a campaign manager and a campaign team. And the campaign manager and the campaign team, uh, they um, got there because Democrats poured so much money into his race that he was able to hire campaign staff for his race. And this goes full circle to where we began at this segment is why? why? Why are you people wasting money on that guy? There's no way he's going to win. Despite all the, the you know, I, I got to tell you, um, I, I'm, I'm not a Marjorie Taylor Greene fan. I'm not. And I think she's a candidate who is is going to, I mean, we're already seeing this happen, that at a time Republicans must get absolutely everything right. She provides a dis- useful distraction for the media every time she does something. Uh, the media rushes out and demands that every other Republican deny it. And you can complain all you want that, well, it'll make the Democrats do that. No, but that's the point. They never do, but they make the Republicans do it, and it becomes nationwide news stories. And she's the gift that keeps on giving. But, you know, I, I wasn't going to – I had all the opposition research on her in the primary, and there was no reason for me to try to drag that out and, and smear her. Uh, in, in the primary, I kept my mouth largely shut. I did warn people that there was enough stuff out there that it would come out, and, and it's coming out now that she's won. Now, but she's going to be the congresswoman from northwest Georgia, whether the Democrats like it or not. And you would think that at this point the media would kind of tire of the constant attacks on her. She is who she is. And yet you would think that she was running for president of the United States the way the media is is, is characterizing this stuff. I, I told you guys it was going to happen. It is happening, but we should be able to acknowledge that it actually is really ridiculous that it's happening. 
Now, let us move on to other stuff. Uh, the president had his rally, and there's all sorts of outrage over the rally of the president of the United States in Nevada because people were maskless at a rally in Nevada. You should note the president was going to have the rally and have it all spread out of the airport, and they didn't want him to do that. So instead, he had this big in-person rally. And you would think that it is the, the biggest story of the day. You would think that it is uh, a, a, a travesty of justice. I mean, literally, the headlines are all about how, I mean, just, just I, I read you earlier. Let, let, me, let me pull this up again. The headline from CNN uh, this was the top story, the top story at CNN this morning. What about the wildfires in California? It wasn't about the police shooting over the weekend. It wasn't about any of that. This was the top story at CNN.com up until, I don't know, let, let me go Let me go see if it's there right now. CNN.com. Uh, top story. Yep, yep, this is still, this is the top story at CNN right now. Trump mocks social distancing with dangerous rally. Analysis. The president offered an example of his refusal to put medical science before politics with a large indoor rally. Analysis. While Trump defies coronavirus safety guidelines at rally TV networks, exercise caution. Trump's historic unpopularity may not be a deal breaker. Opinion. The three words that can avert an election nightmare. <sighs> what are the three words that can avert an election nightmare? Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, vote in person. <gasps> what? 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 Hilarious. After all these weeks of lecturing us that we need to vote by mail, CNN is now actually running a, an op-ed that maybe, you know, you should vote vote in person. I just, I, I, I the, the whole thing is, is ridiculous to me. Uh, but let me, let me read you part of the CNN analysis. President Donald Trump offered a glaring new example of his refusal to put medical science before politics with an indoor rally Sunday night that made a mockery of social distancing while the pandemic he mismanaged has now claimed more than 194,000 American lives. This isn't analysis. Oh, this is the Stephen Collinson person. It's always Stephen Collinson who writes these things. Uh, the man is just broken by the president. But that's it, folks. That's it. Uh, that um, that this is this is your analysis at CNN. He mismanaged the pandemic and is making a mockery of science by having an indoor rally. He's making a mockery of social distancing. This this is your CNN analysis of the president's rally. Uh, really doesn't have a whole lot. Oh, and it relies on Brian Stutler. It doesn't really have a, a whole lot of analysis of what the president said or what the rally was about, uh, just that the president made a mockery of everything. Pay no attention to what the president actually said. By the way, you want to know one of the things the president said? So Biden wants to appease domestic terrorists, and my plan is to arrest domestic terrorists. And we also believe that if you murder a police officer, you should receive the death penalty. And that's something that's very important.
And you saw a video of that animal that went up to the car. Did everybody see that? This animal, this animal goes up to the car. Two unsuspecting fine people. They were supposed fine people. I mean, they're in very grave condition, as you know. Fine people. He's an animal. And I called him an animal. And I was criticized by people for calling him an animal. They said he's a human being. He's not a human being. He's an animal. He's not a human being. Joe Biden opposes the death penalty even for cops who, I mean, look, you have to see, even for these cop killers who go around, the predators, they murder children, people like the Boston bomber, he opposes the death penalty for the Boston bomber. He wants to give prisoners a vote. He wants to have the Boston bomber be able to vote. I don't think so. Man, you know, this is why, this is why they, they, they don't want that stuff highlighted. They, they would rather, they would rather be upset about the president uh, having a rally than actually cover what he said. Cause gosh, they, they don't want people to know that um, Biden is opposed to the death penalty. That, that would, that would be, that would be upsetting for a lot of people. So better not uh, better, better. You know, it's, it's like the defensiveness. I didn't even get around. I asked Charlie to play the clip the other day. I, I will have to play it when I come back. The defensiveness of the Biden team over Chris Wallace daring to point out that Joe Biden answers pre-scripted questions off a teleprompter. Why can't he do it off the top of his head? They're upset with Chris Wallace for pointing that out. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, so I, I, I got to tell you guys just very quickly, uh, I wrote a piece over the weekend and kind of has exploded uh, on critical theory within my church denomination, the PCA. And, and you know, it, it, what, what's so interesting about it, and the reason I bring it up is because uh, there, there are a number of pastors within the Presbyterian Church in America who seem to have gone woke. And it is so one of them. This is this is so funny. So uh, under the, the Presbyterian Church is, you know, it's, it's very legal in how it's structured. I guess it's got the bylaws and it's got the book of church order and all of that. And there's such a thing as called a, a teaching elder and a teaching elder is typically a pastor at a church. The lead, the pastors at a church are the teaching elders. Churches have what are called sessions uh, in the Presbyterian church. You've got deacons who kind of manage the, the physical property of the church and the session, which manages the spiritual direction of the church. And they're the ultimate leaders of hiring and firing the church staff and all. And, and the, uh, the, the pastors are considered the teaching elders and the non-pastors on the session are considered the ruling elders. Well, it's so funny. One of the defenses of this Greg Thompson guy, he's the, the PCA pastor who defends Marxism and and uh, Christian Marxism and the like, is that, well, he's just, he's not really a pastor. He's a teaching elder. This is the problem with these people is uh, the, the, the they believe that if they can control the language, they can win a debate. And this is the thing you, you need to understand about critical theory now is uh, th- this this fundamental belief that if you control the language, you win the debate. So by saying he's a pastor, uh, wrong, he's not a pastor because he works with an outside organization. He doesn't tend to a church, but he's a teaching elder, which in the PCA is, is a pastor. Uh, you just, you, you can't, when facts don't matter anymore, this is, this is part of the problem with critical theory. And it's one of the reasons why I'm talking about it so much. I've had a number of people say, man, could you talk about this more? More and more people are are, are uh, talking about it. And, you know, so David French at the Dispatch actually has a, a detailed critique of critical theory and actually defends it to some degree. I, I would disagree with David in that, as Albert Muller from the Southern Baptist Convention has pointed out, critical theorists 
believe there's a praxis. What is a praxis? Fancy word for saying a practice. Uh, you've got to implement the theory that the theory in and of itself is no good unless it can actually be practiced in reality. And the practice of critical theory is wokeness and in in implementing uh, intersectionalism between people. It's just, it's it's a bunch of hooey gobbledygook. And it really disturbs me, the number of people who are in my uh, denomination who are doing it. And you know what's so funny is I talked to about a dozen different pastors within the PCA before writing this piece. Uh, spread out across the country, people have gone to different seminaries, and um, today I'm, I'm hearing from several different pastors who are very upset by me painting too broad a brush uh, when I'm like, you know, I, I didn't just do this uh, on my own. I actually did the research. But what's so remarkable are the people who make defenses and they, they the, the level of depth or, or the level of behind-the-scenes knowledge, I guess, is completely different. That That's just as troubling. Like, I mean, for example, uh, I talked to about 12 different preachers before writing about critical theory within my church denomination. They're spread out across the country. Some of them I had been in seminary with. Uh, some of them are, are at uh, notable churches. Some of them very prominent. Some of them not so much. All of them had very similar concerns. In fact, almost all of them expressly told me, do not talk to one particular person. Uh, there was one person I wanted to reach out to, and almost all of them said, do not do it. It will do more harm than good. Uh, and, and at least seven of them referred to the guy's worm tongue, which is interesting. And so I write this piece, and and now I'm here from from others that, oh, it's, it's, over, it's really interesting that you've got some people who think this is overblown or misstated, and then others who are very adamant that, no, it's not, it's a very serious problem. And that in and of itself suggests there is a great division uh, that needs to be dealt with. Critical theory is just poisonous, particularly when it gets into churches. Be wary of it. When we come back, we now should talk about the wildfires and climate change. All of this climate change, California's been burning for hundreds of years with forest fires, but somehow now it's climate change. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Can, can I just have a, a moment to laugh at my oldest sense of humor? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say this one on the air, but I'm going to. Why not? Um, I thought it was hilarious. Um, so uh, I I had to do a, a dinner in Atlanta on Saturday. We, we've been doing social distancing and all of that, and we're still doing it. Uh, but a, a couple made a, a sizable donation to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta when I was doing the telethon stuff for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And I committed to taking them out to dinner in exchange for their for their donation. And we arrived very early. <laughs> and there's a coffee shop up the street from where we went, and it was called Crazy Love. <laughs> and the the side said you had to enter at the rear. I was very proud that my child found as much humor in that as I did. At a coffee shop, which is actually a very good coffee shop. But, you know, I, I so I used to – you ever have that moment where you're like, wow, I've, I've changed, like not, not philosophically or anything else, like physically uh, change in that I used to be one of those people I could have caffeine. At, I could have a cup of coffee at 10 o'clock at night and go to sleep. I had coffee at 5 p.m. and I was still awake at 1 o'clock in the morning. Like caffeine, it, it is it is definitely – it is a morning thing for me now, and I, I feel like I can have more of it today. Um, now, 
Uh, we we gotta we gotta move into. Uh, oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. Well, no, I'm gonna get to climate change first before I get there. I this this will rock the boat for for some people. This will make some people mad. Um, but I just I I wanna I want to. I, I I tread on. I know what happens when I talk about. You know, I've actually. We've had people show up at our house. I've talked about this with with Trump, uh, that we had three guys show up and threaten us in in 2016. We had to have armed guards. But I have had uh, gay rights activists show up at our house before. I have been subscribed to pornography that showed up in my mailbox from uh, activists on the left. We've had people go slowly past our house and throw stuff in our yard. Uh, And climate change activists have been nasty as well. It's amazing how much, and honestly, I, I really do think that there's a religious aspect to it, that they're, they're not going to church, they're going to protest. It is missional, it is uh, ecclesiological, it is uh, sacramental for them to protest and harass and, and come after the heretics. But I got to tell you, um, let, let's just, for the, I, I realize a, a lot of, a lot of people say climate change isn't real. Let's just for, for, as a hypothetical, a wee hypo, as 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 my uh, law school criminal law professor, Professor Watson would say, a wee hypo. Let, let's let's posit a wee hypo. The the wee hypo is is climate change is real. Let let's just go with it for a second, whether you believe it or not. Let's say for a second, climate change is real. The solutions from the left are: we must radically now destroy our capitalist system. We must shut down all fossil fuel production immediately tomorrow. We must rely on uh, hydroelectricity, solar, wind, and biofuels. The last time we did such a thing uh, where we relied on the wind, the water, uh, the poop, uh, and the sun to power us was called the dark ages for a reason. But we got to do all of that. We got to radically transform our society. What will it get us? If you let's let's go with the wee hypo now. Stick with me, people. Stick with me. The wee hypo is that climate change is real, and the left's solutions are we must fundamentally today cease to exist as we exist and today give up our way of life. It can't be a transition. It must be immediate to solve climate change. And what will that get us? Bupkis. Nothing. Uh, nothing will change. Uh, in fact, they've been telling us for decades now that we're past the point of of reversibility, and yet they want us to do all of these things. Why not adapt? I mean, let's again, for the sake of argument, the the we hypothetical climate change is real. Why don't we adapt instead of giving up our way of life? Because I, I do believe, by the way, I mean, when you look at the data in this country, the uh, emissions in this country are are way down. I mean, you got to go back to like the year 2000 to, to find something comparable. Our emissions are down. Uh, more and more companies are taking it seriously. Apple, for example, is a company that that is uh, 100% renewable energy all the time. It's the biggest company in the world. It's doing that. Other companies are following suit. The private sector is innovating. Things are becoming more efficient. Light bulbs are becoming more efficient. Cars are becoming more fuel efficient. On and on it goes. We're headed in the right direction, making changes in the private sector without government mandates. And they tell us we must, though, have government mandates, higher taxes, destroy our way of life for what? Nothing. Nothing would change tomorrow. Nothing would change next year. Nothing would really change 10 years from now. Why aren't we adapting? 
It, it seems they want to highlight the hysteria and everything on planet Earth now is about climate change. Where everything must be focused on climate change. It's the great horror of our time, except for Black Lives Matter and racial injustice and the police. But climate change is, is predominant. And if we disrupt our way of life, end capitalism tomorrow, give the United States a command control socialist economy and implement the Green New Deal, not a darn thing would change tomorrow, next week, next year, or the next decade. And some scientists will privately whisper who believe climate change, well, really, it's, it's we're past the point of no return. There's nothing we can do. And yet we got to destroy our way of life. Why? It seems to me that if you want people to accept climate change, and part of me suspects deep down that a lot more people these days, and the polling does suggest, uh, a lot more people do accept the climate is changing. And the reality is the climate has always changed. Before people were even on the planet, the climate was changing. It was hotter than it is now. It was cooler than it is now. The climate always changes. But but let, let's just, what they're really talking about is anthropogenic global warming. That is man-made global warming. They don't want to say global warming. They want to say climate change. Uh, they've defeated themselves to a degree with their branding because the fact is the climate has always changed. But if you if you refuse to go along with the hysterical agenda, you're a climate denier. I know scientists respected globally who believe climate change is real, but don't believe it is as real to the extent as the hysterics say it is, and they are labeled climate deniers. They can't get printed in various publications, including major newspapers like the Los Angeles Times. Their op-eds aren't, aren't allowed because though they accept the climate changes and they accept that mankind has played a role in the climate changing, they don't believe in the hysterics. And as a result of not believing in the hysterics, they're labeled deniers and they're not allowed. They're silenced. And it's remarkable to me that you've got an agenda hijacked by left-wing social operators and agitators who back in the 1970s when they believed that it was global cooling instead of global warming, their agenda was exactly the same. Why is it always that the United States of America must fundamentally disrupt its global economy? Why is it always it's the United States that's the bad guy? The fact of the matter is there's this group of nations, we call them the BRIC nations, B-R-I-C, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Why is it always that the United States must do everything and not those countries? They claim that China, that they want to believe the Chinese propaganda, that the Chinese are somehow better than the United States at this when they're not. The data shows it. The emissions show it. Or, you know, the, the solution of the good white people scientists of the United States is to keep Africa impoverished in perpetuity lest they get air conditioners and contribute to global warming. I mean, you, you read these articles, these articles rather, you've got to like sweat now. You need to raise your air conditioner to 78 to 80 degrees. Africa, God forbid they ever get it. It's like the malaria deaths. Why can't you spray low dose DDT and kill the mosquitoes in Africa? No, we can't do that. We can't actually save people by killing off the mosquitoes that carry the malaria. We just got to give them mosquito nets. It really is like privileged white people who think the solution for people in Africa is to sleep under a mosquito net as opposed to spraying pesticide like the West does. And they do the same thing with global warming. Africa, you need to never get air conditioning. In America, you need to turn up your thermostat and sweat. And you need to become vegetarians. 
and you need to stop driving cars and you all need to pack into cities where you can use public transportation and get a virus that's going to kill you all. And, you know, if you all die, it would actually be good. There'd be less of you to contribute to global warming. None of it makes sense. And every time, and, and this is the thing, this, this is what really bothers me. I'm willing to say that with 7 billion people on planet Earth, there probably is a role we play in shaping the climate. I'm willing to say that. We can quibble and argue over how much or how little, but it makes logical sense to me that in a global ecosystem where everyone is to a degree interconnected and interrelated, you get this back in creation in Genesis 1 with the creation of all things. We're all kind of interrelated on this planet together that we, like the animals, like everything else, we can shape the climate and affect the climate by our behavior. That logically makes sense to me. As to how much or how little, we will argue. I actually think a lot of these extremists, they have way overstated our impact on the climate even though I recognize we can affect the climate. But their solutions are nonsensical to me, the, the, the hysteria. And, and so here we come to the, the wildfires in California, which they've had forever. They say now they're far worse than ever before. So what are you? What, what is your solution right now in California for the wildfires? Is it for us to abandon capitalism and and end uh, fossil fuel production? They don't want nuclear power plants in California. Nuclear power plants in California, you can build them outside of earthquake zone. You can build them to be relatively earthquake proof. You can build uh, uh, next generation reactors that aren't going to melt down like the Fukushima reactor in Japan after an earthquake. You can do all that, but they don't want that in California. They don't want more re- water reservoirs in California. They want people just using less water. Uh, they, they they don't want to clear out the underbrush. In fact, there's a big article out today that uh, really the big problem in California, you can say it's climate change related, but the biggest problem is forest management in California. The forest in California are built on immediately being able to exterminate fires as opposed to generating controlled wildfires to burn up the underbrush to mitigate how wildfires spread. And they don't want to do that out there. They don't want the water reserves. They don't want the nuclear power plants. They want all of us to abandon our way of life, abandon fossil fuels immediately, abandon capitalism for what? For nothing, for a decade, for two decades, for three decades, for a century, nothing will change. Why not adapt? Why not build better fireproof? You know, we, if we can build houses that better withstand hurricanes, why aren't why isn't California zoning to build buildings that better withstand fires? Why aren't they buffering around? You know, by the way, that this article I read this morning, you know, one of the reasons that the wildfires are so much more damaging is that if fewer people are doing agriculture in California, and so the land is 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 reverting back to uninhabited land, and you're getting the underbrush and the weeds springing up, as opposed to having areas around uh, families where there used to be farmland, and the and the fire doesn't spread through the farmland. It's a little more complicated than climate change, and yet the solutions that they propose about climate change are things that wouldn't do any immediate good, probably wouldn't do inner intermediate good and would fundamentally up in our way of life while putting this nation at a competitive disadvantage and an economic disadvantage against countries that are bigger polluters that won't do anything. Why should we if they won't? And it always, it has always been remarkable to me 
that the solutions proposed by climate change activists have never changed. Environmentalists have always agitated for greater command and control economy, end of capitalism in the United States and the like. They, they never seem to change this. It's always uh, the single solution fits every problem. Maybe it's the problem is the problem and not, not with, with our way of life. Uh, maybe they've gotten too hysterical. I mean, the fact that, that someone who is a scientist who believes that climate is changing and the world is warming, but not to the degree that others say can't get their opinions put out there because they're labeled a denier, maybe that suggests this is more cult-like than actual based on science. And, and maybe it suggests that uh, we need to adapt to the climate as opposed to trying to, what, control the climate, turn the scales back, turn the dial back. Maybe we need to adapt. Why, humans were always told by the evolutionists that humans are entirely adaptable. Why is it we can't adapt to this? Maybe there's more to the agenda. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Henry, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Uh, hi, Eric. I, first of all, love the show today. Uh, my, my question is this. What has happened to the Drudge Report, and that, that used to be my go-to for all issues, conservative or otherwise. They have gone completely off the plantation, no pun intended, uh, in, their, in the past six months. What's up with the uh, Drudge Report? It, it's been a little longer than that. You know, so let me just tell you, Henry, I, I get this question asked more and more. I mean, this is a, a frequent question now uh, to me. And I, I, I Drudge, Matt Drudge is still in charge. A lot of people think, has, has Matt just abandoned it and someone else? No, uh, Drudge still runs the place. Uh, I, I personally think that Matt Drudge uh, is someone else who has deeply decided that he no longer likes the president. Um, you know, Matt Drudge and Ann Coulter are very good friends and Coulter has turned on the president and, and Drudge followed shortly thereafter. And I don't know that there's a relation there or not. Uh, but Drudge is very much turned on the president. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff at Drudge still, where uh, Matt Drudge covers things uh, that the left would prefer he not the protests and the, and the like. But most everything about the president, the administration, the GOP is deeply hostile to them, and he highlights those stories. Um, now, if you talk to someone uh, close to Drudge, they would say he's just giving you the actual news of what's going on. But I'm with you. I I I think it is it is notably more hostile to the president and the GOP than in the past. And in the past, uh, there very much was uh, a a bias, I think, towards the GOP that no longer exists in, in stories that were covered. Right. Um, I, I just, I, I don't well, believe the idea that he had, that things haven't changed. It's very clear stuff has changed. Well, it, 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 it's obvious to me that there, where there was a right lean at one time, it's definitely gone. And, uh, and and when I'm looking for truth and I'm looking for news to be reported instead of editorialized, at one time I used to be able to go to Drudge and get the unadulterated truth, and now that's not happening. Yeah, and, and uh, listen, I, I realize there are people who are probably listening to you and me talking right now, and 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 they're saying, well, well, Erickson, you guys just don't like the truth right now, and 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 you're trying to just tell you which one here. That's not really it, because all Drudge ever does is he links to other sites. Drudge doesn't do original reporting, except in rare cases. Right. He links to other sites. And Drudge used to link to a variety of websites, uh, where now the sites that he links to tend to be uh, left-leaning media sites as opposed to right-leaning media sites. 
there are always the stories on Drudge that, that everybody can relate to, the National Enquirer-style stories. One of the things that I've been concerned about with Drudge, frank, frankly, in the last number of years is, is the number of times he's been linking to Russian propaganda sites. And that, thankfully, has gone away, but he's also now linking to more fringe sites on the left. I, I Clearly, something has happened in his relationship with the president of the White House. Uh, I'm told, and, and there, this has been in the press, that the president himself is perturbed by it and doesn't know what to do. But I, I, I don't know where things went wrong there, but clearly it has. And the editorial decisions Drudge is making on what to what stories to put at the top of a site, what stories to highlight, and what links to include has changed over the last number of years. And again, this is for all the people saying that, uh, well, maybe you just don't like the truth and that's all Drudge is doing. It, it has been explicitly accepted by everyone forever that Matt Drudge was right leading. I mean, he had a show on Fox News that one of the few areas where Drudge has never gone wobbly is, is abortion. He is deeply pro-life. In fact, you'll recall maybe uh, when he lost his show at Fox News years ago, it was because he wanted to show um, an aborted fetus uh, what the baby looked like. And Roger Ailes refused, so Drudge quit. And uh, But he now definitely picks sites on the left, and, and this has happened a lot. Uh, so many people, I don't know, I, I, so many people now seem to be broken by this administration or their brokenness is just exposed by the administration. Uh, so many people have become deeply polarized during this time. And I don't think Donald Trump is the cause of it. I, I think he's a catalyst. Uh, we were already headed in this direction, and he sped it up. Uh, and he is a, he's a symptom of it. He's not the cause of it. He's a catalyst to a degree as well. Um, but there's clearly something going on out there with Drudge. When we come back, uh, I, I want to go into schools and, and what, what do you do with school reopenings and, and it's how the media is shaping, willfully now shaping the coverage of reopening schools to scare people in ways that I think are deeply irresponsible. There's a, a, a telling case in the Associated Press from Friday that we didn't get to then that you need to hear about. Welcome back. Well, there's a there's a story we got to deal with before I can get into the schools because this is actually breaking big news, and, and I knew it was coming. It was kind of funny. Uh, the the journal uh, Science it broke the embargo, and, and it got a lot of people buzzing, and a video came out that shouldn't have. Well, um, there is phosphine detected on Venus in the atmosphere. Phosphine is a chemical. It is um, an atom of, of hydrogen with uh, phos, uh, phosphate, phosphorus. Um, it, you got a bunch of sulfuric acid-laden clouds, and they have detected phosphine in those clouds. Now, why is this notable? Well, uh, phosphine on planet Earth is only derived from organic matter. Uh, phosphine is widely considered to be a sign of life. If you detect phosphine, uh, it must be from life. On Earth, this is from the, the uh, Associated Press, there are only two ways phosphine can be formed. One is an industrial process. Uh, phosphine is a chemical warfare agent used in World War I. Uh, the other is a poorly understood function in animals and microbes. Some scientists say it's a waste product. Others don't. Phosphine is found in ooze at the bottom of ponds, the guts of creatures like badgers, and perhaps most unpleasantly associated with piles of penguin poop. 
Um, here's and they they said it's it's very high quantities of phosphine on Venus, and that's their tip off. There there are a couple of problems with this. Um, it, you know, so Carl Sagan, uh, the the scientist who speculated there could be life in the clouds of Venus, said extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And there's a problem here in that uh, there's also phosphine on Jupiter and Saturn, the gas giants. So clearly phosphine can be produced some ways. And there may be volcanoes on Venus and there could be a volcanic uh, activity. But one researcher says it would only um, be if Venus were 200 times as volcanically active as Earth. Uh, there are a lot of people who are scratching their heads over this and saying, probably not. This probably isn't true. There probably is no life on Venus, but they have found phosphine. And as far as we know, uh, the only way to produce it is industrially. So maybe there's a, um, uh, a plant on, on Venus, a manufacturing facility on Venus, uh, but, uh, th- there are ways to do it. Um, now, they, they claim they've ruled it all out, uh, volcanoes, lightning strikes, meteors falling into the atmosphere. Uh, not a single process we looked at could produce phosphine in high enough quantities to explain the team's findings, so that leads them to believe there's life on Venus. I will believe it when I see it, frankly. Um, it, it, it Listen, uh, there are some people, of course, out there, and I'm, I'm, I, I checked, and you know it, it happens, that oh well, if there's life on Venus, that can't be God can't be real. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote um, wrote a lot. He wrote a science fiction series. I've never read the science fiction series. I've got a lot of friends who are, are big fans of it. And his whole premise was, you know, let's say God exists. What makes us think that uh, planet Earth is exclusively the dominion of God's creation? Uh, why not other planets out there? And that's fine, but I don't think it matters. And we got uh, so many problems. Listen, I, I am all in favor of exploring space. I love Star Trek. I'm, I actually very much do enjoy Star Wars and Star Trek a lot. I love the idea of a spaceship uh, that can, through through um, mechanisms, go faster than the speed of light through a warp bubble, which is scientifically, theoretically possible, although it's probably it's never going to happen. Uh, but I don't know that it matters. As much as I would love to travel the stars, I mean, y'all, there's just something cool about the idea of of being on a spaceship going through space. One, the solitude. Um, I leave behind the stupid people of Earth. Just me alone on a spaceship somewhere would be awesome for a while. I'd get bored eventually. But I, I just, I, I, I don't know that it matters. If there's life on Venus, it would be microbi- microbial. Does it matter? Are we going to spend a bunch of money to go to Venus and scoop up some of the microbes and then have a debate on whether or not we can bring them back to Earth and what happens if they get here and would they take over? I mean, we're not. Um, so, okay, we, we've in theory, in theory, there are microbes on Venus. Okay, but there might not be. Uh, some Most scientists recently put it at a 10% chance based on phosphine because again phosphine exists on Jupiter and Saturn where we're we're not jumping for joy thinking there's life on those planets and they got phosphine too there's so much about the universe we don't understand and does it really matter let, let's let's say there are aliens 
Do you know the within the universe, the 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 galaxies are moving away from each other. There will come a time, hundreds of thousands, millions of years from now, long after we're all dead, that when you look into the night sky, it will look completely different. The constellations you and I know will no longer exist. And eventually everything will head towards darkness because everything in the universe is moving apart from each other. And so all of the galaxies are spreading apart. It's it's impossible now for us to venture from our solar system to the closest one. It is completely impossible for us to move from the Milky Way galaxy to the Andromeda galaxy. Even in, for example, Star Trek, that's not contemplated, jumping from galaxy to galaxy. No, it, it, it's it's within one galaxy, and, and even within Star Trek, it's, it's a quarter of the galaxy, really. So, okay, there's, there's life somewhere else. There's an alien civilization on the far side of the universe. Guess what? We're never going to encounter them. And whether they exist or not is not dependent on whether or not God exists. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of atheists, I think, who, who want to say, oh, well, if there's life somewhere else, I mean, the, the Bible says God created life here. Well, the Bible doesn't say God didn't create life anywhere else. He gave us our story for this planet. Maybe there is somewhere else. It, it's always just funny to see stories like this rush out. Proof! God can't exist! Proof! Really? That That's that's your, your, your first reaction? Yeah, I think not. All right, you, you need to know that story's out there. It's, it's going to be the big story. Everybody's going to be buzzing about it. But you gotta, you, you gotta actually, you gotta understand the details. Now, I want to move on to this story from the Associated Press. It was a big buzz, and multiple Associated Press reporters pushed this story out. Here's the headline: South Carolina third grade teacher, 28, dies from COVID-19. We need to keep this in perspective here. The headline, South Carolina third grade teacher, 28, dies from COVID-19. That's the headline. A South Carolina third grade teacher who was last in her classroom less than two weeks ago died from COVID-19, officials at Richland 2 School District said Wednesday. Demetria Demi Bannister, age 28, was diagnosed with the virus on Friday and died on Monday, school district spokeswoman Libby Roof said in a news release. This was a news story pushed out by multiple Associated Press reporters, and that was the the story that less than two weeks ago, this woman got the virus. She was diagnosed on Friday, and she died on Monday. And if you just left it at that, if you left it at how the Associated Press reporters were pushing it on Twitter, if you left it with the way the political activists were covering it on social media, if you left it with the way other people in the media were talking about it, you would conclude that this woman got COVID-19 at school while teaching, could have possibly gotten it from a kid or given it to a kid and then died. You have to get four paragraphs into the Associated Press report before you get this. She was at the school on August 28th. During a week of teacher work days before the school year began. 
she began teaching the following week from home. The district said it is tracing anyone who had close contact with Bannister and instructed custodians to deeply clean the school. No other teacher deaths have been reported in the state. Students in South Carolina have been returning to school over the past three weeks. With everyone required to be back by the day after Labor Day, most districts are allowing students to attend classes in person at least one day a week. This is fear-mongering by the press. She did not seemingly get it from anyone at school. In fact, there aren't any other cases at the school, so she probably got it from somewhere else. As, as thus far, maybe there are now, but in, in the initial reports, there, there were no other cases. So she got it from somewhere other than the school district. She did not teach kids in person. She was only in school at a time of a in-teacher work session. And then she died. It's sad. It's a tragedy. Feel bad for her students who lost their teacher. She'd been there for five years. But this is not a story of a teacher getting COVID-19 from school. And if you read the way the Associated Press spins it, that's exactly what it is. But that's not it at all. South Carolina reported just 250 COVID-19 cases on Wednesday, the lowest since June 3rd. South Carolina's seven-day average of COVID-19 cases is below 700, less than half of what it was at its peak in mid-July. The average number of deaths are going down. But this is a school system where the teacher never came into contact with students barely came into contact with other teachers and probably got it from somewhere other than the school system. And yet the story is being circulated by reporters, reporters at the Associated Press and beyond trying to use it to make the case that kids should not be back in school. Y'all, I really don't buy the theory that on the day after the election, if Joe Biden wins, suddenly they're going to declare the COVID-19 situation over. I, I really don't believe that. But I get the sense that there are a whole lot of people politicizing this to help Joe Biden. The, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, highly progressive uh, labor union that puts uh, teacher union duties and dues ahead of the well-being and education of kids, uh, went on TV and had this to say, listen to contempt for those of you who want to get your kids back to school. So let me actually um, separate out the deniers and the governors and um, local authorities that actually believe that there was a pandemic. It is super, super, super hard in the places of the deniers. So, you know, because you have a total cognitive dissonance where you know that there's a pandemic, you know the certain things that need to be done, you know the resources that you need, and you're hearing people just deny or not um, give you the information. Like in Florida, um, like in Texas, we just started a Texas tracker. Um, like even in Providence where, you know, the governor thinks that everything's okay. See, all, all you deniers, you're to blame, you deniers. You're to blame, except it, it's the states that have been routinely attacked, like Georgia, that are getting kids back to school. And, and you know, one of the issues here is that poor families don't have great access to the internet. And so their kids need to be in school.
They need to be in school. And in some of these liberal states where they they really, I mean, in New York, that they, they've, they've dramatically got COVID-19 under control. There are very few cases, if any cases of late, and they're refusing to open schools. You got places like Georgia that went on and open schools. And by the way, we're not seeing a massive explosion of the virus after schools open, but parents can go back to work because kids are out of the house and you've just got teachers union presidents and, and the media dripping with condescension for those states that not only reopened, but allowed families to get out of the house. And, you know, in all of this conversation about black lives mattering and racial gaps and racial disparities and the like, public schools are one of the biggest issues. And yet here we are told, not only can your kids not go back to school, but it would be bad for them to go to school. And, and you're a denier if you want your kids to go to school. Some of you just need to go back to work. But you can't go back to work because your kids are stuck at home. And now you've got the Associated Press running hysterical coverage, claiming that uh, somehow the, the virus is, is spreading through schools and killing teachers when that's not really the case. And they bury that inside the story. So you think it sounds like this teacher went back to school and got the virus and died, and that's not what happened. You know, let's just bring this whole thing full circle to the very first hour of this program today. This is why so many people on the left and the right no longer trust the media and hate the media. They do not believe the media, and they're going rushing off to their Facebook friends to find news and information because they can't believe the stories the mainstream media is telling. They can't believe the spin on the stories. They can't believe the context of the stories, and they can't believe the media is refusing to tell some stories. And lately, if you want to understand why the media doesn't run a story, the question is, does it help Donald Trump? And if it does, they don't run that story. And it raises all sorts of legitimate doubts in the minds of a lot of people who would otherwise pay attention to the media but can't because the media is totally in the tank for one party now and shapes and twists stories to try to benefit that party and hurt the other. Hello there. Uh, eh, well, yeah, I do want to. I, I do want to say this. This this bothers me. Uh, I'm and I'm not. I don't want to do the name and shame thing. But uh, Greg Sargent, who writes at the Washington Post as a blogger, is a partisan left-leaning blogger. He is of the left. No one disputes that he's of the left. And he suggests that the president isn't trying to win. He's trying to get close enough in the polls to cheat. Which then gets favorably retweeted by a progressive think tank author saying, yes, yes, that's what's happening here. The president's just trying to cheat. He's he's trying to steal the election. We don't need the Russians when Trump's trying to steal it. And then that starts getting circulated by reporters and, and political analysts. And I got a real problem with that on the left. As much as I have on the right with, with claims undermine the election, the difference is, and increasingly this is the case, that on the left, when Outrageous claims are made. People in the media tend to be way more sympathetic to it. I mean, take QAnon, for example. I I can tell you what's happening right now because I'm seeing this. Uh, With QAnon, QAnon is a fringe conspiracy theory. And increasingly, if someone says something that the left disputes, the media waves it all away as QAnon. There's a great example here. There were reports that Antifa activists were setting fires in Oregon, and maybe they caused 
the fires in Oregon. And a friend of mine whose family lives in Oregon and who is related to someone in an area where this was reported called and told me that there were credible claims that someone was setting fires. Now, the claim was not that they started the fire, but that they made the fires worse than they were. And the media waved all of this away and said, oh, that's just QAnon conspiracy. But guess what? They've now arrested a guy in Oregon for starting fires. He's a meth head. Uh, And he was seen setting fires in neighborhoods that were being impacted by the fire and made the fire worse and distracted the firefighters. And the media told me this wasn't true, that it was all QAnon, but in fact, arrests have now been made. I really, it really annoys me to see all the uh, hand-waving waves. Oh, this is just QAnon. No, actually, some people have uh, legitimate, legitimate causes and statements. Uh, I, I want you to know here at the end, this hour of the program has been brought to you by True Precision. Uh, they made my concealed carry firearm, and uh, they're actually they're sending me a return label to, to upgrade my trigger, to send it back to them. They got new triggers in, and I want the new trigger. And you guys should have their new triggers. You should have their slides and barrels. And if you want to really make your gun an awesome gun, what you need to do is go to true-precision.com. Now, True Precision does not manufacture firearms, but they manufacture really awesome upgrades to your existing firearm. So if you got a Glock, a SIG, an MMP, several other brands, go to true-precision.com and you can change your slide out, your barrel. They did it with mine. I got a Glock 43X. We got a new slide, a new barrel, got better sights. We're about to put on a new trigger. They made it fabulously, fantastically awesome. It is a work of art as much as it is a great gun. Highly accurate. I love it. Uh, Go to true-precision.com. Now, here's the thing. If you go to True Precision, you can buy their slides and barrels and the like on their website. And if you use Eric, E-R-I-C-K, as your checkout code, you'll get 10% off. You got nothing to lose. Go to true-precision.com. They're a great sponsor of the show. Going to them, doing business with them helps this program. Go to True Precision.